to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, COVID, crisis management, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, I'm welcoming back for their second, right? Second? Third. Third. Oh, my goodness. Third <laughs> appearance. <laughs> Andrew it's been Ziegler. a while, though. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Andrew Ziegler. We're going to talk today about, I love this title, Fear and Loathing in the Virtual Office. Welcome back, Andrew. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. Uh, where'd you get that title, by the way? I just love it. Uh, you know, uh, well, it's interesting. We'll we'll go into a little bit. Uh, it, it it was one of those themes that kind of popped out as I was putting together, uh, you know, the presentation and sort of really thinking through the themes, um, you know, around this subject. And uh, you know, one of the things that we find, you know, the reasons behind some of this, you know, new dynamic is that fear is a big part of it, and that there's mm. a lot of anger as well. That kind of, you know, around the topic of virtual work and employees, employers, you know, forcing people to come back in the office or the return to work. There's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anger. And it just kind of came together for me, fear and loathing. Uh, and so that's kind of where that title was born from. But it catches people attention for sure. Well, it caught mine when I saw it. You know, that's why I reached out and said, hey, I, you know, I'd love to talk to you about this because the title itself, it, it did. It caught my attention. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about it and how it got started because... Uh, if I recall correctly, it started to do with a poll you did on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, that that's exactly right. So the this this workshop, um, I actually put it together as a presentation and then developed it into a uh, what I'm calling what I call a keynote conversation workshop that I presented at a couple different national conferences and doing a couple more uh, coming up. Um, it was really based on a poll that I put out on LinkedIn uh, back in February of 2022, and I asked the question, "Why are managers leaders hesitant to allow remote work?" And I gave three options. Uh, don't trust employees, are not familiar with the technology, less collaboration ability or other. I guess that there were four options. Well, I was kind of surprised because this this question, this poll that I put out there, it went somewhat viral uh, and I got almost 6,000 votes. Uh, but what was more interesting than that was really the, the, the 200, 250 or so comments and the conversations that happened uh, within that poll. And quick lesson learned for me uh, that actually was really effective is I went in and I actually responded to a lot of the um, a lot of the posts and comments that people made. And that actually triggered even more people to respond and probably more people to see the poll and view and interact. So that was kind of helped out with the whole sort of, you know, viral nature of it. So what I did was I took the results of that poll and more interestingly, the themes and the comments and conversations that happened in that whole exchange over a period of about a week that the poll was out. And that gave me a lot of material and gave me a lot of insight into, uh, this workplace dynamics and hybrid work and, you know, leadership view of, of hybrid work versus employee view of hybrid work, uh, you know, hybrid or virtual work. And, and that sort of, you know, was the impetus and gave a lot of material to this workshop. What prompted the poll to start with? Just out of curiosity. So uh, it's interesting. I, I've always been, uh, you know, I've been in the virtual workspace. So probably about 15 years ago is the first opportunity I had working for a large bank where I managed a virtual team. I had team members uh, that were in different locations throughout the company. And it was really then that began, you know, that I was exposed to even the concept of virtual work. And But it was more, and very quickly, I realized that this is a lot more than about virtual management, right? That virtual management that... 
because a lot of times what people think about is what tools, you know, do I have a good enough computer and I need a camera and Zoom and how do I communicate and how do I get my work done? That's all virtual management. And the tools and technology has been out there for 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 many, many years. Um, but virtual leadership is a much different dynamic. How do I how do I motivate people? How do I inspire people? How do I keep employees engaged, right? When I don't see them or maybe only see them maybe once a year, the only interaction that we have is over the phone or, you know, on a video conference call. So I've thought about that and I even did put together presentations and and wrote a couple uh, articles on virtual leadership maybe 10, 15 years ago. So it's always been a topic that's been really interesting to me. And when this started to really come up in the lexicon, uh, you know, uh, within many different industries and, in, you know, in the news and the, and the popular media, I, I just really I've really paid attention to it, you know, because, again, I have a you know long background, long history and, you know, Know, in this sort of concept of virtual virtual management versus virtual leadership. And that's kind of what prompted the poll um, and, you know, drawn, drew on a lot of that experience and a lot of that information to put together the workshop. I, I find uh, some of what you said rather, well, all of it interesting, but a couple of quick, quick points that I, I thought were interesting. You mentioned Zoom, so Zoom teams and some other things. Those are relatively new applications. They haven't been around for a long time. We used to meet virtually with our counterparts. At, you're working for a bank or a manufacturer or whatever, a consulting agency. Uh, they were called conference calls. Yeah. You know, so we were already working virtually. The camera aspect and all that is kind of relatively new. And yeah. yet uh, people kind of forget that we did it before. We just did it in a different way. We've been working virtually or in a virtual environment for, you know, well before even, you know, for, during the entire industrial age, you know, for over a hundred years, pretty much ever since the telephone was invented. If you think back in certain industries, they've been virtual for many, many years. Sales industries, for example, where you're traveling all over the country, working with different clients and communicating via email, telephone call, mm -hmm. bridge calls, conference calls. They've been around for, you know, for dozens of years. This is not new technology. Um, even, you you know, Cisco telepresence or WebEx or long time, you know, video capable communication vehicles, which have been out there. So even that's not necessarily new technology. It really just entered the mainstream within the last few years. And the reason why things like, you know, I think why Zoom really took off was because of the ease of use that they have. And really the, you know, uh, everybody was using it for personal reasons as well, you know, not necessarily needing a lot of, you know, um, you know, not really needing any special equipment, you know, communications and things like that. Zoom was just perfectly positioned at just the right time to take off yeah. and they scaled, they were scalable and scaled well uh, during the pandemic, uh, you know, so that's why they're, you know, pretty much, you know, very, very dominant force, you know, in the industry right now. But you're absolutely right. You know, the, the video piece is really just one small piece. It's one small addition. It'll, it, it helps to bridge the gap a little bit between, you know, being completely virtual and only communicating with somebody via email, you know, versus being in person, it brings you a little bit closer in that you can see the person and pick up a little bit, you know, more of the body language and interact, you know, mm -hmm. personally with somebody. Uh, but it's by no means, you know, it, you know, virtual work and, and virtual management, it, it's always been around. It's not really a new concept. I mean, if you think about it, even things like public service, you know, police officers, they're out, you know, in their patrol cars all day long and maybe only back in the station for a couple of hours, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, th th there's always been this concept of, you know, uh, you know, most of the jobs that are even still out there don't take place in an office, which is for the most part, really mm -hmm. the only virtual capable workplace that we're talking about. And it's really only about 50% of the available jobs that are out there are even potentially remote, you know, office based remote, you know, remote capable type positions. Uh, back to the poll with, without yeah. um, giving anything away that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> what, if you can, you know, if, if, if you can't, sure. well. um, what was one of the biggest surprises or responses you got from your poll? Uh, so 
Well, I'll give you I'll give you a quick preview. So the 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 dominant answer out of those four questions that I asked, why are managers and leaders hesitant to allow remote work? So that was the focus. And and I even I I I realized myself that I have a that I had a bias, right? That I was buying into the bias of the managers are the man the leaders are the bad guys making everybody <laughs> come back into the office, right? There's something bad about them for not wanting this because employees clearly want it. Managers and leaders don't. And why is that? Right. And I asked that question and out of the four answers, don't trust employees, not familiar with the technology, less collaboration and other uh, 53% came down to a matter of trust, right? That they don't trust employees. But when we flip that around and really started to dig into why do employees have that perception? And what are managers and leaders doing to make employees feel that way? It really came down to fear at the end of the day. And so that's really one of those concepts. We'll explore that a little bit later in detail because that's kind of mm-hmm. one of the the points of of this workshop is really there's a lot of emotion behind this. There's there's fear, there is anxiety, there is worry, you know, that happens. There's, you know, control issues and power hunger and, and all those kind of things. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, what this really comes down to uh, is is feelings, you know. Yeah. That there's a lot of concern, that there's a lot of fear. Um, and at the end of the day, and, and that's kind of the last part of the whole workshop, we'll cover that in the very beginning, is what do we do about this? And what can we do going forward? And I think you'll be surprised at the answer, at you know, the suggestions that we have and the comments that I've gotten. And after delivering this workshop, it's very interactive and collaborative. What I've heard from a lot of different professionals that are out there about what we can do about this and what we can do, you know, what we can do to try and address this. And it, it all really has to do with sort of having feelings and having open on and honest conversations it comes down to people i've been it saying it does since before y2k that's how long i've been around that it all comes <laughs> down to people you know at yeah. the end of the day it comes down to people you yeah know. absolutely I, with the poll was there anything that you might have been expecting to see but was surprising that you didn't see it or not to the extent you thought you would uh, yeah, actually. So the second option that I had in the poll was a uh, lack of familiarity with the technology. And that was only 10%. And I thought that that was, I thought that the leaders or managers who would be the most resistant to remote work, right, would be the ones that hadn't already been doing it for a while. That these are, you know, you know, the, the, the white shirt and tie, gray haired, I have gray hair too. So, you know, you know I'm not being, age- <laughs> I'm not being ageist here. You can't tell because I'm bald. I'm not being ageist. Um, you know, you know, where the stuffy executives, right, who just want people in the office and they, you know, they refuse to use email and they just really don't want to try and adapt and utilize these new technologies. I thought that that was going to be a bigger part of it than than not only what I got in the poll, but in the responses and in the conversations that happened, too. I think it's a small part of it, um, but wasn't as much as as much as I, I thought it was going to be. So I was surprised by that answer. It's interesting you mentioned the, you know, stuffy uh, leadership management there because uh, you've probably experienced this too. For quite some time, the only people who ever had the ability to work from home were the stuffy managers, you know, on Mahogany Row, who every Wednesday were working from, uh, you know, quote unquote home, mm-hmm. you know, and had that ability to work remotely all the time. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, that uh, that would come up. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it, r- r- exactly. I mean, when you kind of look <clears throat> at it, you know, I was really surprised at that too. I, I made some, maybe I made some of those assumptions as well, you know, um, you know, because really when it comes down to it, everybody's kind of looking for that. Everybody's looking for that flexibility. There's really not that much of a difference between employees and leaders, you know, and that was really, that was again, kind of what was surprising, you know, was um, how, how, how much, how many similarities there were between where both the leaders and the employees were coming from. They're both people at the end of the day, and they want mm-hmm. a lot of the same things. You've brought up an interesting point now. Again, see, I'm not even following the script here. So <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that maybe that is part of the challenge uh, we're going to get into? You know what? I'm going to hold it back. I'm going to hold it back because we're going to yeah. get into leadership and stuff later. So uh, I think that'll be the right spot to uh, ask that. 
Uh, why don't we take a break now? Um, and then we'll jump into employees and how they feel about working remotely. We're talking with Andrew Ziegler today of Fear and Loathing in the Virtual Office, and we will be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Andrew Ziegler on the topic of fear and loathing in the virtual office. Uh, Andrew, lots of good information there in the first segment. The second segment here, I want to focus on employees in the virtual office. Now, I know um, we quite often look at it when you see reports, management um, you know, wants people to go into the office and they, they look, they see the whole thing as a negative. But I want to ask this question from the employee perspective. What are they gaining from staying at home now, working remotely, that they didn't so- have before? Yes, I mean we're we're seeing it, it not just in this poll, uh, but in study after study, you know, that's coming out, um, and poll after poll that employees they want the freedom, they want the flexibility, um, you know, they want the choice, right, to be able to do their job effectively from the location that they want to, if they feel that they can. Um, you know, in, in, in a modern society is, is very complex, lots of competing, uh, you know, competing priorities, competing for attention. Uh, I have I have four I have four kids. I have four teenagers now. But believe me, for the last 15 years, I absolutely needed flexibility in my work schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, Ten years ago, if I didn't have the ability to work from home and one of my kids were sick, I would have to take a sick day. And I was limited to the number of days that I could take today. That's a lot different. That's that's way different. I might have to only take an hour out of my day in order to take my kid to the doctor to get checked out, or I may not have to get any time, you know, may not have to take any time at all, right, in order to be able to do that. The commute alone, think about the amount of dollars, you know, the impact of the environment uh, for that matter mm-hmm. on reduced commuting time. Most employees are actually report that they will actually begin their day earlier and end it later if they don't have to commute because they will bake in their commute time into their expected work time that they have. Uh, so think about it. all that time that's just spent sitting on the road, staring at, you know, staring out the window, uh, maybe listening to the radio is now either spent uh, relaxing, um, you know, working on their health, uh, spending time with their families or being more productive, you know, in the office. So there is a, a clear, clear preference for employees for most employees to either have the either have the choice to be able to go into the office uh or you know work from home now that said there are still many employees out there who prefer to go into the office uh most are preferring the hybrid arrangement where they can go into the office or have the flexibility to go in the office one or two days a week and be able to work from home the rest of the time and and have choice around which days those are that really seems to be uh kind of the the magic 
magic mix, uh, not only for the employees, but for the employers as well. There was a study that just came out. I think it was published in Inc. Magazine that showed that um, remote employees are less remote employees are just as productive as employees in the office, but hybrid employees are more productive than either. So then hmm. for companies, if they approach it the right way and if they, you know, if they can work this out the right way, they can actually come out on the other side of this by being more productive than they were pre-pandemic and happier employees, less overhead costs. There's really a lot of, you know, positives and benefits that can come out of it in the right industry, in the right job, with the right employees and with the right leaders. But it, it's going to have to take the right attitude and a lot of working together and probably some ex experimentation in order for the, the mix to be just right to actually be more effective for a, uh, for a company. Just out of curiosity, is there any generational impact here with employees, uh, older employees, more seasoned veterans, shall we say, they want to go back to the office uh, or they're the ones that want to stay home and younger generations, uh, everyone picks on poor millennials. So I'll, I'll, I'm not picking on them, but I'll just use them so it, as an example. Millennials want more flexibility to do not what they want, but have be able to do what suits them. So I'm just kind of curious, is there a generational aspect to so, working from home too? I mean, there's definitely a perception uh, of some generational differences. Uh, I haven't seen a study. The poll that I conducted was anonymous. So I don't know the ages of people mm. where they come from, but from some of the comments you can see, you know, pretty clearly, you know, that they're probably, it's usually referring to, you know, it, more senior people in an organization do tend to be older. And if the, if it's the leaders who are being looked at as the bad guy, then, you know, by correlation, it tends to be the older generation, which is seen as the less flexible. Um, and I think, you know, logically, if you sort of tease it out, you know, along the way, well, sure, if that's the way that they've always been working and have been doing things the same way for 30 years, all of a sudden having that turned on its head or upended can be scary, you know, because change is scary. And again, that's where it really comes back to, you know, one of the, in the title, fear and loathing, right? Uh, fear and it's fear of change and fear of a new dynamic and fear maybe a, a, in a little bit, in some small ways, fear of the technology, fear of having to adapt to a new way of doing things, you know, I think is some of the concern. And yeah, I think that probably hits more people who are probably less familiar with the technology who may not have come up with it or less familiar with that dynamic, you know, being a little bit less flexible and a little bit less able to adapt, you know, sort of the older you get. Because, uh, you know, you sort of cross a line at some point in time of I'm building a career and I need to be flexible and adaptive to you sort of cross that line at some point to say, well, now I'm working for retirement. So, you know, many people can, can fall into that trap or, or that, you know, I don't want to say it's a trap, but of the attitude of, I really just, I, I want things to go smooth, you know, for the next five, 10 years leading into my retirement. And I really kind of want to minimize the disruption as much as possible. So I, I think there is, you know, definitely a perception out there. Um, but how much of that is is based in reality, I really couldn't say. Are there any proven, has there been any proven drawbacks to working from home? Oh, for you've sure. already meant, Considering you've already mentioned that, um, you know, hybrid models and some of these other studies that have been out, productivity is actually either the same or up. So are there drawbacks? Uh, it, yeah. So, I mean, we see those studies and, and, and I think, you know, there, there can be some cherry picking going on in some of those studies mm -hmm. to kind of say, you know, oh, well, it's more productive or, you know, are they really measuring the right things? You know, um, uh, I, I think it's interesting uh, because, you know, let's see uh, a few just I just want to read one of the comments in particular here that came out about the perception of employees and what they were doing and whether they were more productive or not. Uh, let me see. I, there was one quote that was in particular and it was around it was a particular comment around people taking advantage, right? And we talked about this and a lack of accountability, uh, uh, less accountability because of the fact that you're not actually seeing the employee there, you know, and exactly what they're doing and knowing what they're doing, you know, 100% of the time by being able to peek over at their desk or look to see if they're at their desk 100% of the time. So I think it was, you know, 
I, I think it really does come down kind of to that lack of accountability and, you know, why, uh, you know, which people are going to be taken advantage of, um, or which people may be taking advantage of the situation because, and it really does come down to trust. That really is the biggest perception that employees have about leaders is that they don't trust me. It doesn't matter what you tell employees. It doesn't matter if you tell them, we need more collaboration or we're less effective. At the end of the day, all that they're hearing, no matter what comes out of a leader or manager's mouth is one thing. You don't trust me. All right. And that's Mm -hmm. a big issue. That's the biggest issue that, you know, that we have. They can say things like, here's some of the quotes. Managers do not trust employees. Lack of trust from leadership. Uh, I asked my supervisor why I can't work from home. His response, some of these people take advantage of remote, which seems like a trust issue, Right. Now, let's be realistic. Are there going to be people out there that will take advantage of remote if they're not, you know, uh, if they're not being watched over? Well, some people need more structure. Some people operate better with structure. Some people need more accountability and they need a more structured accountability, uh, you know, protocols within the workplace. So remote work may not be the right thing for them. Or it could be that there needs to be additional accountability tools built into the organization and built into the structure. Um, You know, I've worked at companies in which I have very clear goals and expectations written out what and how goals. Here is what you need to achieve and what you need to accomplish. And I was measured and those goals were and my progress against those goals were reported back to me. Uh, I've also worked for companies and worked for managers who say that they have that, but I never got any goals. It was just, well, just do your job. But it was going to be very difficult for them to prove to me that I wasn't doing the job because it was never written down. So really just sort of following some of the tried and true, uh, you know, methods for having accountability in the workplace and and having measurable performance and measurable goals, I would probably point to that, you know, point to that company and say, well, what exactly are you measuring? What are you doing in mm-hmm. order to help your employees be accountable? And then not only that, but what are the leaders of those leaders, you know, being held accountable for? Because that's another thing that a lot of people didn't understand. And once we started to point it out, most of the managers, there's only one person, usually one or maybe a couple of people at the company who really are controlling everything on down. And that's like the CEO or the president. Everybody else is, if you're a leader, you're probably also an employee. So mm-hmm. most of the people that are sort of getting, you know, getting a lot of this negativity are either the senior leaders or middle managers who are really stuck in the middle. And probably the largest population that we're talking about here is when we're talking about leadership are those people who are on both sides, you know, who are both, listen, I- I'm a manager. I want to work from home and have that flexibility just as much an employee because I'm an employee and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person, right, with a family and with responsibilities. I want that flexibility as well. But how how can I balance that against, you know, I'm getting hate coming up from the employees who are coming down on me when I'm in the same position. But, you know, and I really think it's these middle managers that we should focus on and talk to because they're really sort of, you know, stuck in both worlds. But many of them, they understand the need for accountability, right? Along That needs to be balanced along with the freedom and doing the right thing for employees. Because at the end of the day, and here's probably the biggest takeaway and was sort of, you know, um, when I asked, you know, one employee or having this conversation with someone about accountability, they said, you know, when somebody says, I can't trust you, I tell them, listen, I trust you, but I still need to hold you accountable. All right. I twisted Mm -hmm. that a little bit around. And I think that every leader should give this message to their employees. Are you ready? Is if hopefully your audience is ready and everybody write this down, get out your phone, bring up a note, whatever it is. Here's the phrase on trust and accountability. I trust you and I need to hold you and everyone else accountable to our customers, owners, and regulators. All right, let me repeat that. I trust you and I still need to hold you accountable. I have a responsibility as a leader and manager of this company to hold you, me, and everybody else accountable to our customers, owners, and regulators. And I think that phrase employees can understand that. They can get behind that. That's telling them, I hear you that you feel I don't trust you. I I, I, I can only tell you that I do. 
you know, and I can, mm-hmm. I can prove it in certain ways, but I'm telling you, I do trust you. And I also have a responsibility. So I, as a manager, as a leader, I have to balance both of these things. And it's a hybrid arrangement or making sure that I'm seeing you from time to time, uh, which is our way in order to maintain that balance of trust and accountability. I couldn't help but think that it's it's kind of um, the old traditional way of thinking and micromanaging, which is why they need to see everybody. Mm-hmm. Because any anytime I've come across someone who's uh, been a micromanager, they're the ones who have to see. They're the ones who get up and walk around for no reason than to just kind of poke their head over the uh, cubicle wall, you know, make sure you're yeah. there, you know, which which makes to me makes no sense because I could be typing away at the computer, I could be reading something. Which one? I but both of them are part of my job. But one of them looks like I'm doing something. One of them looks like I'm not. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the main themes that came out of all of these comments was a perception of managers and leaders needing to have control, you know, control freaks. Here are some of the here are some of the quotes that came right out of the poll. They can't believe people can be productive without their presence. Interesting. It's a mix of old fashioned viewpoint. Again, the age thing, right? It's a mix of old fashioned viewpoint and attitude, distrust and wrong, narrow sighted ideas of work planning, incompetent management in a world where human resources are scarce. Interesting. And then two more. Uh, One of my CEO of a biotech company stated because some of those managers and leaders are control freaks. And there were five, there were six, not one, not two, not three, but six, six individual respondents who replied back in the comments to that poll with one word, control. And that was it. So absolutely, it's the power dynamics, power dynamics and control and power dynamics. It was a major, major theme that I saw without that poll, you know, throughout the poll, throughout the comments. And I think that really leads to a lot of and we're trying to get behind the reason of why is the perception that leaders and managers are hesitant. A lot of what they're thinking is trust and control issues. We're going to talk about more of that fear and the control stuff in the third segment, but I just have one more question for this one. Um, To your knowledge, are there any um, challenges by um, industry that, you know, we're seeing more of this pushback or more of this uh, demand to go back to the office or more of the need to stay home from financial sectors? Obviously we can't do it in uh, manufacturing. You know, you've got to be on the floor. You can't do that from home, but are, yeah. are, were there any industry specific areas that cropped up more than others that you're aware of where this uh, working from home is becoming more of a, a challenge or more of a want and need? Uh, yeah, actually, one interesting difference that I saw is, you know, not necessarily particular industry, but in in pay grade, in compensation, the companies that tend to have higher compensation, they those are the companies that are tending to say, now we want you to come in the office. And I think part of that reasoning is we're paying you enough. We're paying you gobs and gobs of money. The least we want to expect out of you, we want you to tow the line and the loan that the line that we're going to have you tow, right. Is going to be, we want you in the office. So think about the ones that, you know, are making high profile, right. For coming in. Uh, They tend to be some of the highest paid companies that are out there. JP Morgan Chase, um, you know, uh, you know, Tesla, uh, you you know, Elon Musk, Apple, you know, some of the highest paid high tech companies that are out there. So, yeah, high tech, um, uh, you know, uh, high tech companies, which are interesting because I've worked for finance. I've worked for financial institutions for 25 years and I've worked for I've worked with a lot of high tech companies as well. They don't all operate out of one single location. You know, mm-hmm. there's one company in, in particular that I work for for 20 years. I'm not going to mention them, but about 40% of their staff were offshore in different countries all over the place. They've had a virtual work environment for the last 20 years. This is not something new. They have sites and regions and different groupings of people all over the place. And they have had employees working in these remote situations for many, many years. Why now this is all of a sudden becoming an issue? Maybe it's just because you have a place where you can where you can work and you have a place where you can go. Uh, I, I'm not really sure, but these are not new arrangements that these companies have. Uh, but yeah, that's that's I think the the direction that we're tending to see is the higher paid industries are the one that are pushing back more and sort of insisting on that return to the office. 
Yeah, I have heard uh, from some of those those companies you mentioned and others saying that if you do want to work from home, we're cutting your pay. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see sort of a new dynamic starting to happen in job offers and in the marketplace of, uh, you know, presented with a job offer and you're given three choices and you're given three choices at three different pay grades. You're told you can come Mm. into the office full time at, I don't know, let's say 150,000 a year, or you can go hybrid, but we're only going to give you 140,000 a year, or you can work from home remote full time, but we're only going to pay you 120,000 a year, right? Three different pay grades, still offering the employee the choice, because at the end of the day, that's what a lot of this comes down to of employee perception is that they want the choice. They want the flexibility and the choice to be able to do what they want to do. It really hasn't become that popular. You know, most of the time people's, you know, pay grades are based on where they're actually located and, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, cost of living increases and things like that. I, I think it's going to start to shift where you're going to see more and more companies offering the choice, but there are going to be sacrifices that are going to have to be made if you want to work from home full time. Mm-hmm. And but I think there's going to be an incentive to work. Hi- oh, sorry, sorry. But I do think that they're going to err on the. I think there is going to be an incentive to work hybrid because, again, that's the best of both worlds. You get the most productivity. You, the companies can still reduce their expense load by, you know, say having only one building instead of three. Um, you know, but they're still able to get a lot of that collaboration and that effectiveness out of employees that they're really looking for without crossing over to too much time in the office and too many people calling out sick or taking vacation and not coming in when they could just work from home. Right. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking with Andrew Ziegler today, fear and loathing in the virtual office. And we'll be right back. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Andrew Ziegler on fear and loathing in the virtual office. Uh, Andrew, in the first segment, we were we started to touch on fears. And I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit more on that, because you had a lot of good comments that you we've talked about actually in, during the breaks. Can you uh, elaborate on fear? Sure. So when we started to explore some of the reasons behind why either these perceptions exist, you know, real or imagined, we really started to, you know, ask the question. And one of those themes really started to come out because this poll wasn't answered just by, you know, angry employees, you know, cutting up on managers. There were a lot of leaders and managers who were responding as well and had comments to say. And a few of those things, you know, maybe leaders fear new technology, 
uh, losing their job, becoming irrelevant, uh, fear of not being needed, or fear of other realizing maybe you don't contribute very much. Um, and when we heard from managers, there was fear. There was fear about lack of productivity. There was fear about their managers feeling that they're failing, right? Because they couldn't get employees to come back into the office, or fear about a loss of productivity, or you know maybe people, you know, one of those things that that come out a lot is fear over employees who are doing side gigs, you know, working two jobs, or they double dip, are they taking advantage of us, you know, at this point? And sure, those potential fears exist. But what I think when, you know, when, when we talk about it and sort of bring it out, managers realize those same issues existed before the remote workplace. It doesn't necessarily, it, it, there is a little bit more opportunity for some people to take advantage, but if they were the kind of people to take advantage, they were probably going to take advantage, you know, uh, find ways around it and take advantage in the workplace than they would uh, necessarily in, you know, in a virtual work environment. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that there is a lot of fear, fear of the unknown, you know, that is driving some of those perceptions around, you know, uh, around the, the dislike about virtual work. There was one, <clears throat> excuse me, there was one aspect of fear I thought uh, thought of when you were talking earlier, and um, you, you happen to mention, you know, the difference between management and employees or leadership and employees. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had mentioned that for years, uh, for a long time, that the only people who ever could work remotely, or at least had the ability to, were given the ability or permission to, were leadership and managers. So that was kind of a perk for them to be able to have that uh, while the general employee populace, and you even had the example, if you got sick or a uh, one of your children were sick, you had to kind of take the day off, but now everybody's got that same perk. So mm -hmm. is, do, do managers sometimes have a fear that maybe their title or position is kind of in jeopardy if everyone's got the same perks as they had now? Yeah, I think I think for some there is that fear, um, you know, that uh, yeah, that their title, you know, that their position could be impacted. There could be control issues, you know, where it it's a lot easier to to maybe there is a feeling of control or power, knowing that you're the boss and you have all ten of your employees outspread in front of you, you know, rather than okay, I have ten employees, but they're off doing Lord knows what, you know, and I have no idea what they're doing. Um, and I think it's, I think it's sort of having to give up some of that control, you know, and understand: do you really trust your employees at the end of the day, or do you not? You know, and are you going to mm. have to go and learn new ways of doing things and new ways of leading and holding accountability, you know, for those employees? Um, so if, if there are, I'm sure that there are some leaders, uh, you know, who do feel that way, um, you know, but at the end of the day, what are they going to do? Well, it, you know, you always being a leader is about growth and it's about being adaptive and it's about, you know, maintaining and always having to adapt in order to maintain that level of leadership. So if you want to be an example to your employees and you are really going to call yourself a leader, then lead. And that means working with your employees, having some empathy about where they're coming from, trying out new methods and researching new ways of working in order to make sure that it's effective for everybody. In fact, you know, one of the comments that we had in here was from a was from a manager and I want to make sure that we start to focus on the positive and where do we go with this? Mm -hmm. Cuz here was somebody who said, "I was hesitant at the start of this whole COVID pandemic, but the results of the last 2 years completely changed my opinion. I'm very pleased with the team's performance. We made use of all available technology, tailored it to our needs and heavily interact using Teams." Um, you know, and this is an example and I I think that this is a more common story than it is, uh, you know, uh, I'm doing my com the company's doing terrible. We're losing, you know, we're much less effective than we were. Um, and, you know, or I've completely lost control of the company just because of the remote work. We're really not seeing a lot of those stories come out, you know. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see what happens. How about collaboration? You've mentioned that a couple of times. So I just kind of want to have a quick minute or two discussion on co collaboration. How is that being impacted or is it even being impacted? Is it just to become a buzzword or an excuse to try and get people in the office? I think it's both. Um, and I think it's a shame because there is real, you know, synergy is real, right? Uh, and I, I personally feel, and other people may feel differently, I feel that there is more synergy when you're in the room with somebody. But 
much of my work is and what much of a lot of people's work is, isn't necessarily working as a team. It's sitting at your own computer at your own desk, typing away or talking to people on the phone. So, you know, if you were to take all the personal interactions that you have with everybody, right, and you were able to condense that into a single day of the week instead of spreading it out throughout five days and also having to be in the office and be dressed in your in your business clothes and commute in and out and pack your lunch and all those things, well, why not be able to do that? So I, I think that there is there there is an argument argument to be made for more for better synergy and better collaboration when the entire team is in the office but just to it it it's a long stretch you know to say it, there is a middle ground and it's called hybrid work you know you don't always have to have everybody at home all of the time in in many cases you also don't really have to have everybody in the office in many cases unless you're a surgeon or a nuclear safety technician then I'm definitely going to want you there you know 100% of the time um you know, so I think it got overused. And unfortunately, because of its overuse, it's sort of become like this catch all and people aren't mm. paying attention to it. But I think that there is an argument to be said, listen, we do want you to come in the office. If you're having a hybrid work arrangement, come in the office one or two days a week. And we're going to coordinate it to make sure that a, a team is in the office on that same day of the week. Or if you're going to have an all hands meeting or a team activity, plan all that for that same day, sort of shift the dynamic of the workplace a little bit, make it more effective. And this is the companies that are doing this are the ones that are really finding success in this hybrid workplace. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, something else too, empathy. And I know you during the break, you started to talk about that. Can you elaborate on what you mean by having empathy? Yeah. So at the end of the day, this is really coming down to a dip. There are two sides of this argument, right? Of this perception. On one hand, managers need to hold employees accountable. Yet there is a lot of fear involved with this new workplace dynamic. On the other hand, employees view resistant leaders as power hungry and controlling. So where do we go from here? I suggest it's time for peace talks. And I think that there are two main things to consider. One, managers and leaders really not just need to start talking about fear, real and perceived. And I think the managers and the leaders need to take control of this situation. That's what they do. They need to open it up and they need to open up a dialogue, having empathy for their employees. And now employees, I think you need to do the same thing. You need to have empathy for the leaders and the managers. Try and look at things from their point of view. Don't assume that you know what they're doing. Try and make mm -hmm. some positive assumptions or ask them really about how they're feeling and have some empathy about their, you know, their concerns and their fears and what can you do in order to try and address them. So I think start talking about fear, real and perceived. Some managers are afraid. Let's encourage empathy for them. <clears throat> Understand that power dynamics are shifting. Listening to and understanding these fears from our leaders is what we need to do as leaders ourselves. If we're faced with a leader who resists remote work, ask them why, and then ask them why again, you know, the five whys. Keep asking why until you really get to the heart of the matter and what can we do in order to try and address it. Well, we've only got uh, less than four minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts on uh, any final things you'd like to convey with regards to uh, virtual offices? Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, it, it's this isn't all bad news. Uh, many companies and even entire industries, as we mentioned before, like sales, service companies, law enforcement, the travel industry, they've successfully managed remote work environments for many, many years. What can we learn from them and what we can what can we learn from each other? So keeping an open mind and adapting, you know, adopting new technologies and trying new ways of working, right? That it's not just simply I'm not in the office and I'm going to do everything on Zoom. Right, it's a lot more nuanced than that. If you know, leaders in the industry should really try out new methods, things that are working, pay attention to literature. It's time to adapt, you know, and it's time to grow. Um, I think you know when it comes to leadership, here's a few suggestions: using digital tools and capabilities to better communicate and coordinate. Uh, daily or weekly stand-ups and virtual check-ins with teams as well as individuals. You have to keep that you know time up. If, if in the past you were just stopping by somebody's office, well, it may not be that easy anymore. You know, you may have to set up some time or you know send them an instant message and get them on the phone. Uh, you know, or get them on a Zoom call. Uh, create digital rules, formal and informal, for how the company is going to collaborate. Uh, adapt. Make sure that your cybersecurity and your acceptable 
reasonable use policies are updated within the company to make sure you're not violating your own policies. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, also, don't make assumptions about skill levels with digital tools. Um, one of the, uh, you know, a couple people that I heard from on the poll um, came through and they expressed some concern to say, listen, I, 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 during the pandemic, I was forced to go and use this team's technology without knowing anything about it. It was trial by fire. I figured it out, but I still don't know it 100% well. So even with companies, if you're going to roll out a new capability or a new digital tool and totally change you know, the level of work, are you providing them with the right resources they need? If an employee, you're making them go and work from home, right? Do they, do they, even, do they have high-speed internet? Do they even know how to reboot the router. What do we do if an employee, you know, if they lose internet connectivity for the day, are you going to make them take a sick day? Are you going to make them come in the office? What are the company policies and protocols going to be? What makes sense, right? Mm. And build confidence, ask the teams for feedback and input. Uh, But really, I'd really like to wrap up, not with my words, but with words from uh, comments from the poll. These are an anonymous other leaders and employees, uh, you know, just like your listeners, right? And here are a few of the things that they had to say. Anything new takes time. Perhaps productivity data and positive outcomes will prove that remote work can be profitable. Another comment, a leader has more confidence in the team if they are leading it correctly. And I've handled a remote staff for over a decade and had no issues. Bottom line is and always will be the numbers don't lie. If you are performing, it will show. If not, that will show as well. Uh, and so I think those are the, the you know perfect ways in order to sort of end the conversation mm-hmm. about the conversations that are being had out there, not from the media, not from a study that was done, but these are real people expressing their real feelings and thoughts. Uh, you know, so it was just a, a great experience for me. And I learned so much by, you know, working with these people and listening, you know, and I think that's what we need to do more of. And what we as leaders in our industries need to do more of is listen, listen to our employees and have an open conversation conversation with them, that's going to show them that we really do have that level of trust that they're looking for. At all levels. That goes for the CE level and the senior vice presidents as well. Not just, you know, a lower level management or middle management. It goes for everybody. Yep, absolutely. Very true. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This was a great chat. And uh, I I really liked some of the comments that were in the poll that uh, you, you told us about because um, they weren't vendor inspired, you know, trying to lead yeah. <laughs> people in a certain direction or something. They were mm-hmm. real comments, as you said, you know, real, um, real feelings that people had. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that information. I, I uh, thank you very much for that. Of course. Well, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, you know, to talk about this topic and and sh- and, uh, and share it with your audience. Well, it was great to have you back for your third time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got it right. And uh, for anybody watching uh, the video or uh, uh, even listening on Voice America, um, Andrew had a couple of visits uh, from his uh, pet cats there a few times, uh, yep. making guest appearances. <laughs> yep. On yep, they're popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thanks again, Andrew. Really appreciate your time and expertise. And everyone listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.